Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. And this is the mystery and the wonder and the puzzlement and the miracle that we want to try and engage with this, this morning. God became flesh. God, fully divine. The one who sits enthroned in the heavens. He who spoke and worlds came into being. He who is far above us. The only one that we worship and bow to, the one who is majestic and magnificent and God eternal, God omnipotent, God almighty, God the creator, the judge of all mankind, God before and beyond all time, God, this God, fully divine, became flesh human. He was born. He held his mom's hand. He learned things. He scraped his knees. God, fully human, he wore a diaper. He burped. He got haircuts. He outgrew his clothes. He laughed, he cried, he fully human. But how? Fully human, but still fully God. A few years back, there was a news report about a Messiah sighting in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, New York. And I don't know if you know much about the Crown Heights, but it's the home for a couple of hundred thousand uh, strong Lubavitcher Hasidic Jews. And reports began to circulate that the Messiah, the promised one, was dwelling in Crown Heights. And he was dwelling in the person of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And When the word broke, it spread like flash fire through the streets of Crown Heights. And Lubavitchers in their black coats and their curly sideburns uh, were soon dashing down the sidewalks towards the synagogue where the rabbi customarily prayed. And those lucky enough to be connected to a network of beepers got a head start, sprinting towards the synagogue the minute, the instant they felt a slight vibration on their Messiah alert devices I'm not making this up, okay? This actually happened, okay? And hundreds jammed into the main building, elbowing each other, and some climbing up pillars to get a glimpse. And then it happened. The rabbi was 91 years old, and he'd suffered a stroke the year before and had not been able to speak since. And when the curtain finally pulled back, those who had crowded in the synagogue saw a frail old man in a long beard who could do little but wave and tilt his head and move an eyebrow. No one in the audience seemed to mind. 
Long live our master, our teacher, our rabbi, king, messiah, forever and ever. And they, they sang in unison over and over and over, building in volume until the rabbi made a small, weak gesture with his hand, and then the curtain closed. One newspaper writer who saw it put it this way, when I first read this, I laughed. Who are those people trying to kid? A non-agenerarian mute Messiah in Brooklyn. Come on! And then it struck me. I am reacting to Rabbi Schnitterson exactly as people in the first century had reacted to Jesus. Come on, really? A Messiah from Galilee? A carpenter's boy? Jesus who? Walter Wink put it this way, if Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. And I want to try to talk a little bit this morning about the extraordinary uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And the passage that I want to read from is known as a Christological hymn, uh, the first hymn that the early church ever sang. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm not going to ask you to turn to it. I want you just to listen to it because I'm going to read it from the message translation of the Holy Scripture. So uh, just quieten your soul and listen to how the message translates this Christological hymn. He, Jesus, had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. But because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. It's an amazing passage of Holy Scripture. If Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. One other theologian, I put it this way, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. Jesus was born as a human. God became flesh. So, here's what we're going to try to figure out. Jesus has two natures. He is God and man. Each nature 
is full and complete. He is fully God and fully man. Each nature remains distinct. But Christ is only one person. It took the church, the early church, nearly 400 years to figure this out. Uh, At the Council of Chalcedon, they wrote what's called the Chalcedian Definition. It was written in AD 451. And it's remained the standard orthodox definition of this biblical teaching of the person of Christ. And I'm going to read an extract from the Chalcedon Definition. And it's wording that isn't common wording that we would read or look at in our Instagram or Twitter feeds. It's kind of different, okay? But listen in as I read a little bit from this document, which was written back in AD 451, to define this this tremendous moment of the incarnation. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. At once, complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood, like us in all respects apart from sin. As regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, and yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of him and our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us and the creeds of the fathers has handed down to us. The Chalcedian definition or the Chalcedian creed, whatever you want to call it. Remembering that the church is not only built upon scriptures but built upon history. And the early church fathers, as they grappled with the understanding of scriptures, they came away with some tremendous creeds which speak to us of our faith. And this one in AD 41 tried to put into print this amazing reality that God became flesh. He is God and man. He is fully God and fully man. He has Two natures, but is one person. Now, Jesus is not some half man. Like, he didn't have like a human body and then a divine mind and spirit. That's not correct. This is known as Apollinarianism. And it was named after a heretical teacher that tried to teach that Jesus was like a half man. And that heretical heretical teacher was called Apollaris. But neither was he 
two persons, like a human person and a divine person. Jesus always spoke as I, not we. And the Bible always refers to him as he, not they. He was two natures, but one person. To teach that he was two persons is known as Nestorianism. And again, it's heresy. And it was named after a heretical teacher called Nestorius. Similarly, Jesus isn't some modified form of God and a modified form of a man. Like, like if you were to take a drop of ink and drop it into a glass of water and the mixture results in really neither pure ink nor pure water, but this third substance. Well, Jesus wasn't like a modified form of God or a modified form of man. Jesus was fully God and he was fully a man. Lastly, Jesus didn't give up any of his divine attributes while he was on earth as a man. This is known as the kenosis theory. So that hymn that we just spoke of, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, there's a phrase in the English translation, the, the New International Version of the King James, uh, about how he emptied himself. And that doesn't mean that Jesus gave up his divine attributes of being all-knowing or all-powerful or all-present. For 18 centuries, the church clearly understood that this meant that Jesus had a self-humbling. Uh, take Take the temptations by Satan. It wasn't that he was void of power to cast Satan away. Rather, he imposed a self-limitation. And he refused to turn to his divine powers to deal with Satan. If Jesus had never lived, we would never have been able to invent him. Fully God and fully man. Two natures, one person, the incarnation. Now, you're asking this question at this point. <laughs> uh, like, why is this important, Gilbert? You accept that God is God and his word is the truth, so we're good with Jesus. It, it's like if you buy a car because of its color. Gilbert, is this a big deal? I just believe in Jesus. Well, it is a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. It's a big deal not just because there are people and groups and cults that appear to be Christians, but in fact are false religions, and you need to know truth from error. And not just because the Bible says that you need to be, give, you need to be able to give an answer for what you believe. And, and not just because America doesn't know what to do with the identity of Jesus. Like, take Oprah. Uh, she said that if Jesus claimed to be divine, he was the biggest egotist that ever lived. Or Dan Brown's Da Vinci's Code, you know, and, and the millions who buy into this theory that believe that, that the church had to make up this, this lie to convince people that Jesus was a divine being. Or take the growth of Mormonism who deny that Jesus was fully divine. It's a form of Arianism, which is a false doctrine according to the church. Here is one reason why this is very important. And I know this is quite heavy. Don't worry, next week's a lot lighter, okay? But stay with me, all right? Here's one reason why this is very important. 
No one can rise above their concept of God. No one. Larry King, the old TV interviewer, was once asked whom he would most want to interview. If he could choose any one person from history. And his answer was, I'd love to interview Jesus Christ. And the interviewer asked him, what would you like to ask Jesus? And Larry King said, I would like to ask Jesus if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question, he went on, would define history for me. This was the essential way that God could be born fully human, but remain fully God. And if you weren't here last week, we spoke about Mary. We asked some questions on who the real Mary was. Sometimes people think that it was probably easier for people in those pre-scientific, pre-enlightenment times to believe in a virgin birth. But we're more sophisticated nowadays, and we know better. Well, in the first place, I think that's a little arrogant. Uh, People in ancient times were actually very well aware of where babies came from. Uh, There's an old story that goes something like this here. A little six-year-old girl asks her mom, where did I come from? And her mom is a little embarrassed, and she goes into a long explanation about birds and bees and men and women and eggs and seeds. And then she asks her daughter, so now do you understand? And her daughter says, no, no. Jenny says she comes from Bakersfield. Where did I come from? People in ancient times, they knew where babies came from. And this virgin birth thing just blew their minds until they began to watch this Jesus. And this Jesus who could weep, but then command a storm to be calm. Or this Jesus who could be hungry, but then feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. And this Jesus who could have children sit on his knee, but then speak and Roman soldiers fall over backwards. Or this Jesus who could die on a cross and then three days later rise from the dead. And who could teach truth, who could forgive sins, who could say, if you see me, you see God. His words sounded like God. But he looked like a human. If Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. Fully God. Fully human. Two natures. One person. You see, Christmas is frankly doctrinal. It's loaded with doctrine. Doctrine that doesn't fit on a Christmas card starring you and your family in matching pajamas. Like, that's just wrong, okay? It doesn't do Christmas justice. The invisible has become visible. The incorporeal has become corporeal. It is a unique doctrine. 
Christmas is frankly doctrinal. Stay with me. Buddhists and Hindus. Buddhists and Hindus believe that God is imminent. So by being imminent, God is indwelling. God is encompassing the material world. The omnipresence of God is everywhere, in, every, every, in everyone and in everything. God is here. On the other hand, Islam and Judaism teach that God is not imminent. God is transcendent. He is over all things from above, well within the heavens, untouchable because of his holiness and his glory. He's transcendent, above and removed from us. For uh, Islam and for Judaism, incarnation is impossible because God is untouchable. And Christianity is unique. Christianity teaches that incarnation is possible and that God who is incarnate is both imminent and transcendent. He is still fully God, but he's come close. He's come among us. He's become with us. The incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is a history-altering, life-transforming, paradigm-shattering event. This doctrine distinguishes us from everyone else. It's kind of hard to put it on a Christmas card. Fully God and fully human. And here's why. If Jesus was not both fully God and fully man, he would not be an adequate Savior. And everything about the incarnation and everything about Christmas is about God being a Savior. If he had not been fully human, his obeying even to death would not have been in our place if he had not been fully human. He couldn't take my place if he wasn't like me. His obedience would have counted for nothing. If not fully human, he could not have died in our place as a substitute for us. If not fully human, he was the wrong type of substitute. If not fully human, he couldn't be our mediator. If not fully human, he couldn't stand in the gap to represent us to God as well as represent God to us. If not fully human, he could not have been our example, our pattern for true and full life. Now, some people might ask, well, could Jesus have sinned? The New Testament clearly teaches, as the Chalcedon definition stated, that Jesus was without sin. So, some people say, well, if Jesus was without sin, he was not truly human. For all humans sin. But that's a flawed way of looking at being human. God did not create us sinful. God created us holy and righteous. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before they sinned, they were truly human. 
after they sinned, they were flawed humans. Hans Kung, the respected Catholic theologian, when asked, why did he become a Christian? He replied, in order to be fully human, everything else is a distortion. Being fully human, he experienced the same things that you and I do. That gives him immense empathy. Being fully human, he can come to our aid when we reach the limits of our human weakness. Because he was fully a man, he can relate to him. He's not far off. He's not uninvolved. Because he's fully a man, we cannot complain that God doesn't know what we're going through. He does. Because he is a man. Notice, he is a man. Not was a man. He will be fully God and fully man forever. He rose from the dead in the same body that he died in. He ascended into heaven as a man in his physical body. We have a man at the right hand of God interceding for us. He will return also as fully God and still fully human. Being fully God, he's all-powerful. He cannot be defeated. He is an adequate and secure Savior. He's not going to drop the ball for my salvation. He's going to hold it in His divine hand. Being fully God, He will empower us for the tasks that He commands us. Being fully divine, He could bear the full penalty for my sins. No sin was too big that He couldn't bear it. Being fully divine, salvation is from God. It's good stuff. Fully God. Fully man. Two natures. One person. Stay with me. Ten more minutes. Oxygen and food is ahead. Experience is formed from the outside in. And therefore, if you shrink or miss the size of what you have outside of you forming your soul and forming your life, your soul and your life will shrink. Experience is formed from the outside in. So let me try to get you for a few moments to grasp the gospel in a new way. So the Bible says, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Now this word, this hearing, is something that is outside of you. He's not talking about hearing like a still small voice in your head. He's talking about something outside of us that we hear with our ears. So we find Jesus, we find God outside of us. And this Jesus and God's salvation, Christ, is outside of us. He's real, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, one person. This is not some kind of spirituality thing. Like you, you kind of feel God inside of you. This is something outside of you 
that has form and truth and substance and history and humanness. There was a real Jesus. He really came. He really lived. He really died. He really rose from the grave. He's a real Jesus. He's outside of us. And faith is heeding the word, heeding the truth about Jesus, and then receiving this Jesus into our lives, and then receiving him over and over and over again to bring real transformation in our lives. So here's what often happens. We hear about Jesus. He forgives our sins. Oh, man, we need our sins forgiven. I need my sins forgiven. And so by faith, I say, yes, I want him in my life. I need a forgiver. And we take it from the outside in. But then our understanding of Jesus stops at this level. And our experience of changed living, of true life, also stops at this level. Remember, experience is formed from outside of us. So here's what could happen. And it's so much bigger than you imagine. You continue to hear the Word of God. You continue to learn and experience what is outside of you. And in your learning and hearing of the Word of God, you learn that He is a Redeemer. He is a Restorer. He is a Healer. He is a Guide. He is a Leader. He is a Lover. He is a Chain Breaker. He is a Justice Bringer. He is a Mountain Mover. He is a Promise Keeper. He is a Faith Rewarder. And as you hear this outside of you, you retrieve this truth and this real substance that's outside of you. You receive Him in faith. And the more you receive from outside of you, the deeper the experience is inside of you. But so many people, they never deepen the size of what is outside of them. And if you don't deepen the size of what's outside of you, you then never increase the depth of what's happening inside of you. Gilbert, Gilbert, we don't need to know all this about being fully God and fully human. That's, that's for you. You're into that kind of theology kind of thing. We're just happy to believe in Jesus. And the level of your experience is shrunk because there's more outside of you that you're never willing to explore, never willing to learn, and never by faith can receive. You'll never rise above your concept of God. And God is so much greater than we ever think. Let me show it to you from a final angle. On the screens is an amazing lady. She's called Asiya Bibi. And Asiya Bibi is a Pakistani Christian. She was working in the fruit fields on a scorching Sunday. And the thirsty workers stopped for a break. Asiya was asked to fetch some water from the nearby well. 
and she set off jug in hand. And on her way back, she took a sip of the water before handing it to her colleagues. And her colleagues were all Muslim colleagues. And they were furious. Furious. In Pakistan, many conservative Muslims don't eat or drink with people of other faiths. And so the fact that Asiya had taken a sip of water from the same jug that they were going to drink from was bad. And her co-workers told her she was dirty and an argument erupted and words were exchanged. Later that evening, an angry mob appeared in front of her home, a small home with two daughters and a husband. The mob dragged her out of her home and they beat her and kicked her and punched her. And then the police arrested her and the charge that they threw over Asiya was a charge of blasphemy, that she had blasphemed the prophet Muhammad by doing what she did. She was imprisoned. A year later, she was sentenced to death by hanging. For eight years, she sat on death row in Pakistan, always claiming her innocence, acting with love to those who imprisoned her and those who falsely accused her. Eight years on death row in Pakistan. She was the only Christian woman in the jail. She was often beaten. She was often starved for food. She was always ill-treated. But she never recanted. She never changed her story. She never stopped loving and confessing Jesus is the Christ. Amazingly, in 2018, eight, ten, ten years, the Pakistan Supreme Court acquitted her. In that acquittal, the lawyers that fought for her and the judge that issued it were actually murdered. In just this year, 2019, Asiya was given shelter and asylum with her family in Canada. When I came to learn of the story of Asiya Bibi, I thought of how vast an experience of Christ she must have had. Deeper than any experience I have had of Christ. Here she is in a dominantly Muslim country, and she so deeply believed in who this Jesus is, fully God and fully man, only God, the only Savior, the true Lord. Her criticisms on the risk of doing so in front of uh, those who were Muslims, a deep conviction about who this Jesus was, is. And I think of her. And I think of every Christian in Pakistan. They're a minority. They're persecuted. They risk imprisonment for their faith. I think of Christians in Iran or in North Korea or in Somalia or in Libya. And they're willing to experience this because of what outside of them has formed their faith. A deep, rich understanding of who Jesus Christ is. 
people. Your soul will be the size of what you have exposed yourself to outside of you. And the invite for you this Christmas on Sunday, December the 15th, 2019, is to expose yourself to the massive, the eternal, the one person of Jesus Christ. He is God and he is man. Each nature is full and complete. He is fully God and fully man. Each nature remains distinct. He is two natures, but he is one person. And all of the mystery and all of the miraculous of the incarnation, God becoming man was to ensure that there was a salvation, a salvation big enough and strong enough and sure enough and sufficient enough for every single sinner there ever could be. A sinner as big as me and a sinner as big as you. So this Christmas, this Christmas, do yourself a favor. You can keep the pajamas. But Google the Chalcedon definition and read it and memorize it and learn it. Find out who this Jesus Christ really is outside of you and let that one who is so big, shape your future, save your souls, and lead you into a concept of God that is far bigger than you had this time last year. And as you increase your understanding and your concept of God, so the size of your soul will increase and you will become fully human. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, and as we stand, we ask that in this season of Advent, in these final few days, that we would have a chance to learn something fresh about who you are. From within your word, a revelation. From within some inspired song, a truth that is deeper than we ever knew before. And let that experience through faith and your word shape and mold us. That as our concept of you increases, so our lives increase. And who we are increases. Come and reveal yourself to us and maybe by faith hold it and experience it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you next Sunday.